And I really think it's important for people to understand the inherent ableism people bring to the table when we're talking to kids with disabilities. Something that would normally turn into a bad conversation in regards to being labeled with a learning disability turned into an amazing opportunity. Welcome to the Bright Spots Podcast. I'm your host, Charter Selpa Program Specialist, Jeremiah Witten. In episode eight, we were able to record live at the 2024 El Dorado Charter Selpa Inspiration to Action Symposium. Our theme was the power of hope, and I got to sit down with keynote speaker and disability rights advocate Jennifer Wolfsheimer, as well as our morning speaker, best-selling author and professor Dr. Imad Rahim. Hundreds of educators from across the state were in attendance on location in San Diego, California, and the SELPA was able to recognize and celebrate several amazing schools and educators for their innovation and dedication to creating hope and bright futures for their students. I hope you enjoy these highlights from the symposium, and we look forward to the possibility of you all joining us for future Inspiration to Action events. Thank you for listening. Very excited to introduce uh, Dr. Imad Rahim. He is one of our speakers at the Inspiration to Action Symposium here at the SELPA. Dr. Rahim, can you talk to our listeners a little bit about uh, what you do and what you're talking about at our conference this year? Um, so currently, I serve as an endowed professor and chair at Bell University, which is a predominantly online program that I manage. Um, and I also operate a tech BIPOC accelerator focused on helping indigenous, black, brown people of color um, to accelerate and grow their business. Kind of, you know, dealing with the obstacles of, of entrepreneurship when you are a minority founder. Um, and today, I was fortunate enough to come to this conference to share my story, a story of overcoming adversity with the support of a community, a community that pushed me along, that never gave up on me. And also my, my academic journey in regards to uh, being a dyslexic student, uh, having a special education background and so forth. Absolutely. Your story is so powerful and I am excited that the listeners get to kind of get a peek into that. And uh, If you could share maybe something that's inspirational, a person or an event in your life that you feel like has inspired you to go out and do all of these amazing things as far as the book and your, your social justice work. Well, you know, Nicholas Poulos was my professor in community college. He was a human service uh, a professor, social work background. And, you know, he was the one that inspired me. He was the one that pushed me forward when I became a young adult trying to find myself. Um, he was also the person that took an interest on me. Right? He saw something that was odd about my writing, uh, about my assignments, and realized that I may be dyslexic. And he pushed me to get tested. And after I was diagnosed, it was not a conversation that ended. It was more of, this is an opportunity for you to grow. This is an opportunity for you to do better, to, to, to discover yourself. And something that would normally turn into a bad conversation in regards to being labeled with a learning disability turned into an amazing opportunity. And it's because of that conversation, because of that experience, and because of this man that gave me a chance, that pushed me forward, that I became who I am today. Nicholas Poulos passed away um, almost, I think, 10 years ago now. Uh, he passed away of cancer. But his words still resonate in me, right? It still pushes me forward. It still uh, um, makes me want to experience new things and is re the reason why I work with at-risk students. 
We have students in our schools all across California that have so many different challenges in their life. Uh, what would you say to all of the students with disabilities uh, and, and those types of challenges that are listening now? What would you say would be the most important thing from them to take away from your story? That they don't have a disability, right? I think the, you know, how we label and stigmatize people that learn different right, is, is, is uh, very impactful in regards to why it has not been uh, consistent in regards to growth and opportunity, right? It's important to know that they don't have a disability, that they're more than capable. They just learn different, right? And with the right tools, with the right resources, with the right support, they can accelerate and be the best, right? They can reach their full potential, but they just need a little bit more help. Thank you so much for your time and for your, your incredible inspiration for our listeners and our conference attendees. Uh, I really enjoy getting to know you a little bit and uh, hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Uh, thank you for having me. Next, our keynote speaker, Jennifer Wolfsheimer, was gracious enough to speak with me just prior to her presentation. And I hope our conversation is as enlightening and inspiring for you as it was for me. All right, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and what you'll be sharing with our audience at the conference today? So I primarily work with state agencies in their special environments to ensure that their policies and procedures are in line with the IDEA and that they have implemented for kids with dyslexia that they're meeting the IDEA and also um, having high expectations for children with disabilities. Uh, so I work across the country and our entities, essentially anybody that receives federal funding from the IDEA. Uh, thank you so much for coming to the conference. Uh, I was really excited to hear maybe a little preview for our listeners about what your what your talk will be about today. Yeah, so I primarily speak um, through my keynotes about raising expectations of children with disabilities. I myself have cerebral palsy. I was born with a disability and have experienced various different types of ableism throughout my life. Um, as well as I have a child with ADHD and dyslexia, so I have the perspective of being a model of a person with a disability as well as having a disability. And I really think it's important for people to understand the inherent ableism people bring to the table when we're talking to kids with disabilities and about children with disabilities and being able to confront that within yourself before and while you're working with kids so that we can have higher expectations and not have the labels define the children. I feel like with other forms of discrimination like racism and sexism, there's a, a longer history of social awareness when it comes with it to ableism, I really see, as a parent of a, of a child with a disability myself, I really see that there is not the same inherent cultural desire to be sensitive to people with disabilities uh, like there is uh, with other protected factors. What are your thoughts on that? Um, so actually, in my work at WestEd, I have pushed to have an ERG, an employee resource group, be created to ensure that people with disabilities are included in the DEI conversation, as well as um, ensuring that we have a seat at the table. I think that, to get back to your original question, I think the fact that it's not included is 
based actually in euphemism because people are afraid of disability. They're afraid of encountering their own mortality and also what that could look like in their own children. Um, and instead of confronting that and kind of thinking about things through a different lens, they sit in that ableism and don't really challenge it for themselves and for others. So would you say that the most powerful tool our listeners would have to support individuals with special needs and disabilities would be that conversational piece at the grassroots level as opposed to focusing more on lobbying and legislation? I don't think it's an either or. Okay. I think we have to have the legislation. Uh, a lawyer by training, I can't say that we, we don't need the laws, but I do think we need to have people that are implementing them, keeping in mind that children and people with disabilities are at the focus and talking to them and not assuming that they know what the person with the disability needs just because they don't have a disability. So for example, I requested an accommodation and I had somebody tell me that they weren't going to give me the specific software because they understood what I needed. So they wanted a different software. And I had to educate this individual to explain that I had already done the research and I knew that the software that they were recommending was not going to be, was not going to work for me. So I, I explained why I needed the software I was requesting that finally approved. But it goes back to the idea of people thinking that they know better for a person with a disability just because they have a perceived deficit. Um, the other piece is I think we often think about disability in a medical frame rather than a social construct frame. And looking at the medical frame, we're always trying to cure people with disabilities. If you look about it as a social construct, like the stairs over there, those are there for an able-bodied person, right? But if you take away the stairs and make it a beautiful landscaping ramp, it would be universal design rather than yeah. having a person with a disability go out and locate the elevator, which may or may not be completely on the other side of the room. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's all how you look at things. The last part of today's episode is our 2024 Charter SELPA LEA highlights. This year, the SELPA recognized two schools, City Heights Prep and Classical Academies, for their outstanding programming and student outcomes. Well, the feeling that we um, shoot for and the culture that I feel we've established is definitely a caring, inclusive culture where students feel safe, they feel that they belong, and most importantly, that people here will establish meaningful relationships with them. Uh, we kind of have a mantra that no meaningful learning happens without a meaningful relationship. Okay, so City Heights Prep is located in City Heights, which is Southeast San Diego, a community traditionally made up of uh, individuals from all over the world. In our case, we're a small middle school high school with about 170 students. And of those 170, we serve refugees, predominantly refugees from all over the world, uh, with about 30 different languages spoken. And it's very uh, reactive, the community itself, to the geopolitical climate, meaning what's going on in the world often trickles into City Heights either four or six months later for a variety of reasons. 
So our hopes for our students uh, is like many parents, right? Is that you want the true best for your students. And that's just not academic achievement. Of course, that's a focus of ours. Of course, preparing them for four-year college or university or career and exposing them to multiple paths. But again, we want to make sure we take care of the whole child, the well-being of these students, and really help them find their passions, uh, what motivates them, how we're going to help develop those passions so they can engage with the world and really become you know, successful, productive citizens for many of them in a new country. Um, or in some cases, they may want to return to their home country, but gain those different skills, resiliency skills, uh, coping mechanisms and skills, along with all the stuff that comes with you know, your academic achievements. Um, again, so that they leave here feeling more secure and more confident in how they engage with the world and where they're headed. I think connectedness is so important. Relationship to build a bridge of connection. And so I feel that giving, a, giving students a voice, so being an active listener is, is very powerful in building that bridge of connectedness. And letting a student know in the most, it could be the most simple way that you notice them. So my resilience group, I teach kids skills and how to cope with traumatic experiences, really difficult experiences, stressful experiences. It's a curriculum where you teach the skills, but it gives them opportunities to have a voice and to share their story, to bear burdens with others, and to have an adult witness their experience, their pain, their difficulty. What I like about my relationship with teachers is that um, they help you. How I know my teachers care about me is that whenever I feel like sad or something, they come to talk to me uh, in private. They let me know if I need any like time off for a homework or something. CI's prep is a it's a very understanding school with lots of teachers who help out students no matter what. The Classical Academies uh, is in San Diego County, North County. We serve students TK through 12th grade or to 22. We're a hybrid program, independent study program, lots of different options for students. So it's exciting the history of our transition program. So we serve high school students. We have three high school campuses. And part of an IEP is their ITP, their Individual Trans Transition Plan. And we were compliant with our ITPs, but an ITP really drives some really incredible things for students. And that, I felt that piece of what we could do for students was missing. So compliance, check, but we wanted to really have a robust transition program. The best part of uh, transition, I would say, is really helping kids find their passions, um, delving into that, taking time to communicate with them, their families, and just really see what it is that drives them. So a lot of them have been um, frustrated by the system or come to us in high school not feeling um, great about themselves. So helping them figure out like what part of their journey, where they go next, and to do whatever we can in whatever capacity to get them there is just um, brings tons of joy. 
In a perfect world, what I see for these kids is having employment opportunities for everyone. I think that's a big hurdle. Um, having partnerships with the community and having people that are really willing to embrace our students regardless of their needs. We get really creative work with placement so that they can have work experiences, but in if we could just network more and get out more and find more people willing to take students under the wing and really give them really um, deep, meaningful employment skills, I think that is like the dream for every student. Um, I've had a lot of jobs, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm always on the grind. I, I do love making money. That's, yeah, <laughs> I love being busy, too. Um, I'm working at Bread and Cheese right now at Moonlight Amphitheater. I love it. Um, I've also started working at a coffee shop recently, and interviewing for jobs have also really helped me build confidence, and mm -hmm. it's. I feel like it has prepared me to get ready for college just because it's like, really like, you really gotta be bold with it. You're like, oh, just come into the job and be like, I want to work here. Uh, so. I'll probably, I, I hope to be an efficient person to get done, things done quickly and, and have a happy life. I really want to go into business and econ and I hope to still be close to my family because very close to me. My real answer is I want to be a director that, and make some really cool things. I hope that they just keep dreaming and learning and know that the future is out there. Go get it. You're ready. You're ready. And we are cheering every step of the way. I hope you know that. Special thanks to Dr. Ahmad Rahim and Jennifer Wolfsheimer for speaking at the symposium and sitting down to share more of their inspirational stories and insights with you, our listeners. If you enjoyed the show today, we encourage you to check out our other Bright Spots episodes on the Apple Podcast app or Spotify. On behalf of the SELPAs and the El Dorado County Office of Education, we thank you for listening and wish you a wonderful day.